So last week we focused on the resurrection. And I told you last week that the central theme of Christianity is the resurrection of the dead. This is not a sideline issue. This is it. This is the big banana. What? That people don't die. And if they do die of physical death, they get up and they walk out. It's big. It's really big. You cannot be a follower of Christ and reject the resurrection of the dead. And why? Because you're rejecting the core of Christianity, Jesus himself. He said, I am the resurrection. He's not part of it. He is it. And if he is in you, resurrection is yours. And it's not something that's going to happen. It's already done. You're just waiting for the new body. It's guaranteed already. Somebody say amen. That's the theme. That's the theme of Christianity. But that begs the next question. Here's where we go tonight. What kind of a body? If we're going to get a resurrection from the dead into what? Will you be you? Will I be me? Will you know me? Will I know you? Will it be skin? Will you get a suntan? Will you have to shave? Huh? Will your knees hurt? No. It's only one thing to answer for sure. No. Your knees won't hurt. What kind of a body? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this series. We thank you for your word. We acknowledge it is your word. And um, I ask you, just about every service we've had, that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures. For that's what the Holy Spirit, that's what you do. So tonight I ask you again, open our minds to understand the scriptures as we study that we might know you. In Jesus' name, amen. What kind of a body? Here we go. Verse 35. Someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. I'm sorry I asked it then because I was curious. What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. Now, I'm going to go slow because this is really important. What kind of a body? What a foolish question. And then he starts talking about seeds. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant, into a plant unless the seed does something first. What? The seed dies. So don't miss the connection. He's using that to illustrate what kind of a body. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow. But only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. And I'm going to tell you, I thought it was a good question. He says, what a foolish question. I don't think it's a foolish question at all. Because I think everybody wants to know what kind of a body. If there's a resurrection, what will it be like? Do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about God's created order? I hope you were here for that session. Because tonight we're diving back into it. 1 Corinthians talks about God's created order. It appears again tonight. God's created order. There's an order. So when he brings up 
that what kind of a body am I going to have? And then he talks about seeds. He's not forgot the question. It is, there is an order that God has created. A seed goes into the ground and a seed dies. When the seed dies, the seed actually gives life. It cannot give life until it dies. There is a created order. God created an order. Seeds represent an order. Guess what? That order is followed by his creation. Now, a couple of weeks ago, he illustrates the created order by saying this, that the head of man is Christ, and the head of woman is man. He establishes a created order. I remember a few weeks ago when we covered that, I said, if you've got a problem with that, you don't have a problem with me, I didn't write it. And there's a whole lot of men who are embarrassed or afraid to say it. I tell you, I'm more afraid not to say it. There's a created order. The head of woman is man. The head of man is Christ. There is an order established by God. It is repeatable throughout his creation. If you'll stop fighting the order and study the order, you'll find out something about the one who created the order. What is it? Well, let's go. When a seed goes into the ground, it actually dies. But only after it dies does it sprout. Think about it. It must die before it can sprout. God's created order. This is God's plan. The seed you plant in the ground is not what it will look like when it grows out of the ground. This is God's created order. The seed you plant will look different. The end result is not like the beginning. Stay with me. For example, a corn seed, hopefully most all of you have gardened at some point in your life. You take a kernel of corn, a seed of corn, and it will produce more corn seeds. But the stalk of corn and the ears and the silk are not seen in the corn seed that goes into the ground. So let me say it again. When you plant a, a, a kernel of corn, a seed of corn in the ground, do you see the silk? Do you see the stalk? Do you see the, the, the outside of the ear? Do you see any of that stuff? You don't see any of that stuff, do you? What you see is only a part of that which will come after it dies. Listen. In the seed's resurrection. There is the core of it is in the ground, but it's got to die. There's a created order. The seed will then have a resurrection and produce something that looks different than its origin seed. Okay? Confused yet? Some of you are. This is God's created order. He's the one doing all this. Next verse, verse 38. Then God gives it a new body he wants it to have. Now he's still talking about seeds, right? Or is he talking about seeds? He's not really talking about seeds. He's talking about people, right? A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. Now he's connecting what? Seeds and flesh. Flesh is us. It's people. There are different kinds of flesh, one kind for humans, another for animals, 
another for birds, another for fish. Do you see those? Let me give you a trivia question. Are all of those flesh different or are they the same? What's common? What's common to three but possibly different for the fourth? They have the breath of life. What about fish? Do fish have the breath of life? I told you it's a trivia question. You see, he's listed them. There's humans, they have a flesh. There's animals, they have a flesh. And there's birds, and they have a flesh. What's he connecting these two? To seeds. And what's the deal with seeds? Seeds die, and they resurrect. They don't resurrect looking like the seed. They resurrect including the seed, but possibly a different form. So, breath of life is in all of these in their created order. Life from seeds. Different kinds of flesh that come from life from seeds. Again, God's created order. Verse 40, let's keep going. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. Now, we've talked about seeds. We've talked about people. We've talked about animals, birds. And now we're talking about planets and stars. From God's perspective, they are all have bodies. They have form. They have shape. They have substance. There are, different, there, there are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different than the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun is one kind of glory, while the moon and the stars each have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their glory. Some stars are brighter. Some stars are different shapes. Now, earthly bodies and heavenly bodies are glorious, but also very different from each other. The heavenly bodies are all quite unique in size and shape, but they are all come from God's created order. Now, now, here comes the question everybody wants to know about this time. What in the world does all this have to do with me getting a new resurrected body? So hang on, because it's in here. Verse 42. In the same way. All right, you with me? Why did he say all that? Because now, in verse 42, he's connecting the dots. In the same way with the resur- it's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Now we're talking about people. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die. But they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they are raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. So that grandparent of yours that's passed away, I want you to, for a moment, in this analogy, consider that they were one of God's seeds. That seed got planted in the ground. That seed got buried in the earth. Just like planting seeds in the garden. That seed got planted. Now, 
let's use a physical person as an example to help us through this. Let's take the Apostle Paul. Okay? Paul died. All right? I'm convinced Paul died. We believe he, it's not in the Bible, his physical death exactly spelled out. Church history tells us that he was beheaded by the Roman Emperor Nero. I suppose he was buried in the ground somewhere near Rome. Maybe in two pieces, but buried in the ground somewhere in Rome. His, his seed, I want you to think of the Apostle Paul, his seed was planted in the earth. His soul, what happened to that? His soul went on to be with the Lord, but he doesn't have a physical body in the presence of the Lord as we know it today. Not yet. Stay with me. Planted in the ground, but raised to live forever. Buried in brokenness. Now we're talking about Paul here. Now I'm connecting the dots. He's buried in brokenness, raised in glory. Buried in weakness and raised in strength. Buried a natural human body. Subject to death. Let's call it mortal. That's what the word mortal means. It is subject to death. What's immortal mean? Not subject to death. So he is planted. His seed, which was mortal, is planted in the earth. But it is raised a spiritual body. Immortal. With all that said, what kind of body do you think Adam had before sin? Now we're talking about Paul, which is church age, right? What kind of body do you think Adam had before sin? I want you to think about this. Before the serpent enters the garden, while Adam and Eve are in their created, perfect walk with God in the cool of the day condition, what do you think Adam's body was? Mortal or immortal? You see, what God told Eve that day is if you eat of this, you will surely die. But what if I don't? Then you won't die. So their human flesh at that stage was immortal, not subject to death. So death entered the garden by the serpent. Now stay with me. Verse 45. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam. Now, why is he connecting Adam to this? You think this is out of context? I'm reading verse by verse by verse. He is connecting seeds to people, to flesh, to planets, to fish, planted in the ground, resurrected. And then he says, the scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, became a life-giving spirit. Now, what's the real link we need to find here? A living person and a life-giving spirit. One, we know, became subject to death. The other is the origin of life. And life-giving means he doesn't just have it. Guess what? He can give it. He can give it. Verse 46 what comes first? <laughs> well, Adam came first. What did Adam have? Natural body. What comes first is the natural body. So let's call him the first Adam. 
What about the last Adam? Then the spiritual body came, right? First was the physical, then was the spiritual. The spiritual body comes later. Verse 47, 47, Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from, uh uh-oh, this changes everything. He came from heaven. The first one was made from the dust of the earth. The next one came from heaven. Jesus is the last Adam, and Jesus is a life-giving, the life-giving spirit. Adam gave us a natural body. Everybody look around the room, we all got one, okay? Adam gave us a natural body. Now Jesus is going to give us a spiritual body. The first body came from the dust of the earth through Adam. Where do you put seeds? In the dust of the earth. The first one came from the dust of the earth through Adam. What? The first body, the physical body. Jesus came from heaven, not the dust of the earth. And thus he will give us a different body. Verse 48, next verse. Earthly people are like the earthly man. Heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man... We will someday be like the heavenly man. All right, pause, pause, because everybody's giving me that look. You remember a few verses ago when it says when you plant a seed, it doesn't come back looking like the seed. It takes a different form. And you might think, well, that lends it to the the thought perhaps that we're not going to be us after the resurrection. If we're going to look different or be different, now, I think you're off base if that's what you're thinking. The earthly, what's planted in the ground is the body that is like the one that Adam brought out of the garden. The resurrected body will be like the one who came from heaven. That is the resurrection. That is the announcement. Let me read it again. So, right now, all of us are packing around one of Adam's bodies. But we were born again in Christ. If you're in the room today and you've been born again in Christ, the promise from Christ is that you're born again, and I wish I could communicate this clearly, that literally, from a spiritual perspective, you are extracted from Adam's genealogy under the curse of death, and you are placed inside the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's the only way anybody, anywhere, anytime will be called the child of God. You must move out of one family line into another family line. How do I get into that other family line? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Is everybody on earth God's creation? Listen, listen. I get so tired of everybody. Oh, pe- church people say, you know what? We're all God's children. I say, like, no, we're not. No, we're not. Don't you sell that stuff. It's not true. Are we all God's creation? Yes, we are. Yeah, we are. I've met some people that I think are from Pluto, but I can't prove it. Okay? But how can you become a child of God? You've got to be born again. 
you will never, never enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. What does it mean? I got to start over. How do I start over? I got to get out of that family that's under the curse of death. And because that is the body that came out of the earth. <clears throat> and if you plant that body that came out of the earth in the earth, you will never experience a resurrection from the dead that is offered through Jesus Christ. You got to get another one. But what if there's another man, a last Adam, and he comes and he says, if you will allow me to enter you, life-giving spirit, I will come inside this mortal flesh, this Adam's body. I'll come inside this Adam's body. And then, there's two possibilities, and I'll get into the second one in a minute. Then, Terry Cooper, if they plant you in the ground, in one of those great big holes that'll fit you in the ground, you won't stay in the ground. Because guess what? I'm in you, and I specialize in walking out of graves. And I'm in you. And when I walk out of the grave, I'm not going to walk out of the grave with Adam's body. Uh, uh, uh. I'm walking out of the grave with Jesus' body. First came the physical, then comes the spiritual. First came Adam, then comes Jesus. Verse 48 again. Earthly people are like the earthly man. Well, that's where we all start. Heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Well, how do you get to be like a heavenly people? you got to be like the heavenly man. Well, how can I be like the heavenly man? I don't have to tell you who the heavenly man is. He's Jesus. How's he a heavenly man? Because that's where he's from. you got to get him inside of you. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday. That's future tense, isn't it? How are you going to get to that someday? I can tell you this, your seed must die. That's a spiritual picture and a physical reality. You ever wonder why Jesus says, if anyone would be my disciple, he must, what? Deny himself, take up a cross to follow me. The seed must die. How do we start tonight? A seed cannot produce a resurrection until the seed dies. I cannot follow my Jesus until I Surrender myself until I, spiritually speaking, go to the cross and allow him to reign inside this temple. This is where it gets interesting. You think it was interesting so far? This is where it gets really interesting. Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God, so his body is unique in all of creation. His mama came from Eve, from Adam and Eve. But his daddy is not from earth. Earthly people that are not born again into Christ will die because they continued to be like the earthly man Adam. Jesus came to make us like him in every way, like the heavenly man. There must be a change, an earth, earthly to heavenly. There must be something that happens. It is not our default location. Something has to happen for us to go from earthly to heavenly, from Adam to Jesus. Our present human flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of Christ. <clears throat> Paul, in the next verse, he's going to make something absolutely clear. If you stay as you are in Adam's earthly flesh, you will never enter the kingdom of God. You can't do it. Why? 
Verse 50. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. So what is the key to being born again? What's the key? The life-giving spirit. Life-giving spirit. Jesus is the life-giving spirit. When he comes inside this physical body, he has done that. It's not that he's going to do that. He has done that. He has then given us, like, I like to say right now, I already have eternal life. A lot of people in the church think, well, one day, when I get through in all these toils of this world, I'll get eternal life. You know, I'll get eternal life. No, 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 no. You're still not getting it. That's why a lot of Christians walk around like this. Oh, come find Jesus. Like, I want to follow you. You look miserable. We already have eternal life. We're only waiting on the new body that goes with it. We already have eternal life. He's at the grave of Lazarus, okay? He says, whoever believes in me will live even if he dies. Now, Lazarus is in a hole over here, right? He will live even if he dies. So there's Lazarus. But you know what? What's the next line? What's the next line? But whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Never. I already have eternal life. You know, this physical body might stop. But I already have eternal life. I'm going to rise. Now, the revealing of the secret mystery of God. Now, this is cool. You have heard me quote a thousand times 1 Thessalonians, but you know that the Apostle Paul links in exact wording, in exact wording, his letter to 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians. Next verse, verse 51. Let me reveal a wonderful secret. I guess it won't be a secret after you read this. We will not all die. What's he mean? Do you know what he means? There will be a generation that won't go in the ground. Okay? There will be a generation that won't be planted in the ground. But we will all be transformed. You mean there's a generation that the seed won't have to get dead to get alive? Well... Physically, yes. Spiritually, no. Physically, there will be a generation alive when the trumpet goes off. You won't have to go to the grave to see Jesus. But spiritually, you would have had to have died to make it when that trumpet comes. So spiritually, you still had a death. You had to get across. We will all be transformed. What's transformed? We will not all die, but we will all be changed. We will all be transformed. What's he going to transform? This stuff. It will happen in a moment. No liposuction, no surgeries, no nip and tucking, pulling back, crow's feet, none of that stuff. Now, it'll happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, with the last trumpet, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. 
notice there's two parts. There's two parts. This is where he matches up with his first Thessalonians thing exactly. When the trumpet sounds, he says, for when the trumpet sounds, first let's focus on the dead people. Notice there's an order. God's created order. When the trumpet sounds, those who have died. So if that happens right now, that's not us, right? That's people who have already been planted. They're going to be raised to live forever. So that means they're going to get a new body. Raised means they've been planted. Where are they right now? They're in the earth. And then he adds number two. What about the living? What about people still hanging around breathing air when the trumpet goes off? And, and we who are living. Now Paul, when he writes this, still counts himself in that number. We who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. So in case you're wondering, what are we talking about transformed? He's talking about flesh. Our dying bodies are going to be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. What? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This matches the letter to Thessalonians exactly. We will not all die, but we will all be changed, transformed into eternal flesh. It'll happen in a flash, and there is a trumpet. Now, what is Thessalonians? It gives more than a trumpet. He gives a little bit more detail in his letter to the church at Thessalonica. What is it? There's going to be a loud shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. Now, he only lists one of these in the letter to Corinth, just the trumpet. But he also says something. He gives the same order. The dead are raised first, and then we who are alive will be raised second. Thessalonians says we'll meet him in the air, not on the earth, in the air. Dying bodies and dead bodies will all get new bodies. Dying bodies, which I don't want to depress anybody tonight, that's us. And dead bodies. So far, that's not anybody in the room that I can tell. And dead bodies will all get new bodies. Immortal bodies. And no, I didn't leave the T off. It's not immoral bodies. I think some people read this and think they get an immoral body. It's immortal body, not immoral body. We get the body like Jesus after the resurrection of the dead. At that moment, death has been swallowed up in victory. What does it mean? Well, I've heard preachers preach that at funeral my whole, my whole life. Death has been swallowed up in victory. What does it mean, really? You'll never die. Where you'll be, nobody will even be talking about anybody that died. Won't even come up. I often thought about this. Have you ever thought about when you're reading Genesis account and, and, and God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat of it, you will surely die. I wonder if Adam and Eve said, die? What's that? What, what, what is that? What is that? I don't know what die is. Because nothing had ever died. No animals had ever died. No people had ever died. 
Now, somebody asked the question, how long were they alive? I don't know how long they were alive before that event happened. I don't know. It doesn't list they had children at that point. I don't mean they did or didn't. I don't know about the chronological order of that. But he just said, if you do, you'll die. But that was a foreign word. That wasn't natural. Nothing died until after that. You'll never die. Verse 56. For sin is the sting that results in death. If you were here last week, I illustrated that last Sunday with the serpent's bite. The sting, sin is the sting that results in death. Satan is the serpent that's poison, kills you. And he injects sin into your body. And the law gives sin its power. Why does the law give sin its power? Because when God looked at Adam and Eve and says, do not, that do not moment created the law of God which gave sin its power. Are you with me? When he said, if he hadn't said do not, then it would not be wrong to eat of that tree. So what did the law do when God said do not? What did the law do? It gave sin its power because Adam and Eve had to choose who they would listen to. And sin gives birth to death. You want to know whether Adam and Eve were free? You can never be free until you have the ability to choose. And for you to have the ability to choose, there has to be a choice. There has to be at least two. And there was two. There was God and serpent. There was yes or no. I will or I won't. I did or I didn't. That's freedom. I always said freedom is God's wonderful gift to man and God's curse to man wrapped in the same package. It's the same thing. It's according to how you deal it. It's the same thing. Sin, back to 56. For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power, but thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death. How? How can I get victory over sin? Because I've been bitten by Satan. And death is inevitable for everyone from Adam, because we've all been bitten by Satan through Jesus Christ our Lord. There it is. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Let's go back to that strong and immovable. Why? So, so finally, brothers and sisters, after all of this, we talk about the resurrection of the dead, you're going to get a new body, there's going to be a trumpet, they're going to rise, meet the Lord in the air, and there will be a thing for everybody. Why, why, why do you need to be strong and immovable? Why? If all that's why do I need to be strong and why do I need to be immovable? Because a lot of people will start and not finish. They will start and not finish. They'll talk, but it will never become real. Not real. Sin brought death to the earth and a sinless man is now taken it away. His Holy Spirit seed is now inside of us if we're born again. That seed, life-giving spirit, is inside of us. Now, 
Our part is to be immovable and strong in this faith regarding the resurrection and the proclamation of the good news. What? You must die to be born again. The seed must die. You know how many churches refuse to preach that as an absolute truth? Hear me on this. Strong and immovable. How many churches refuse to preach that you must die before you can live? That the seed, spiritually speaking, I must die before I can experience this, the new seed of Christ in the resurrection. Let me give you a physical analogy. It's like the idea everybody wants Easter. What's Easter? Easter's Sunday. Well, what's Easter? Easter's the resurrection. But you know what Jesus had to do to get Easter? He had to go through Friday. What's Friday? You got to die on Friday to get resurrected on Sunday. Church, I'm going to tell you, the gospel of Jesus Christ says, you, unless you die, you will not be raised. I'm not talking about a physical death. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your spiritual death, that you must be willing to deny yourself, take up a cross to follow him. If you refuse to do that, if, you, if your will fights against the fact that Jesus becomes the Lord and the master of your life and that you gladly bow yourself to him, not once, it happened back in the river back in 1942. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about every day of your life, every day of your life, you bow down to this king. And His Holy Spirit reigns inside of you, producing much fruit for His glory. That's what it means. It's not something, yeah, I think I did that back in, when I was in the eighth grade. I don't really know. Then you're making me nervous. Because if you don't know, then you don't know what you don't know. You got to die. You're going to die, church. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, I offer my body daily as a living sacrifice. It's like he crawls up on the altar every day and lays his life back down. You know what the problem with living sacrifices are? They want to crawl off the altar. They want to get off the altar. I don't want to stay on the altar. Paul says, it is now no longer I that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Why? Why does he say that? Because he died to himself. Church, listen. You cannot follow Christ until you're willing to die to yourself. That means, literally, your hopes and dreams and your ambitions and all the things that you had on your little list that you're going to do before you go home, you lay them on that altar and then you crawl up on it. Not my will, but yours be done. May it be to me as you have determined, not as I have. That's what it means. It is God's created order. For there to be an Easter, there has to be a Friday. And for there to be a Friday, you've got to die. Verse 1, chapter 16. Here we go, final chapter. Now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem. You should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then, then try to collect it all at once. When I come, 
I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you chose <coughs> to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. They took up an offering once per week, and so do we. You ever notice that? That's what we do. The money, in this case, was to help the suffering Christians living in Jerusalem. They were taking up an offering as they, on the first day of each week. On Sunday, they were taking up an offering. Interesting, because that was primarily when they met the early church. Actually, this particular offering was going to be delivered to Jerusalem for the people who were suffering in Jerusalem primarily because they had become Christians, but also because of some economic pressures in the area. Both. The next section reveals Paul's travel plans as he closes chapter 16. I'm coming to visit you after I've been to Macedonia. For I am planning to travel through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay a while with you, possibly all winter, and then you can send me on my way to my next destination. This time, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while, if the Lord will let me. Now, don't, don't jump that. I'd like to come and stay a while, but who sets his agenda? If the Lord will let me. He knows, he knows that the Holy Spirit directs him every day, if the Lord will let me. In the meantime, I'll be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There's a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. The Holy Spirit's guiding him every step, and he also realizes that opposition is all around him. Verse 10. When Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. <laughs> Paul's either like a daddy or a big brother. I'm not sure which one. When Timothy comes, don't you intimidate him. He's doing the Lord's work just as I am. Don't let anyone treat him with contempt. I, I picture my daddy leaning over the back seat of the car and said, don't, don't make me stop his car. Don't make me come down there. Send him on his way with your blessing when he returns to me. I expect him to come with the other believers. Timothy was like a son to Paul, and this letter indicates it. Don't you intimidate my boy. Was there a conflict with Apollos or just a scheduling conflict? Because I'm referring to the verse we're about to read. Now we know that Paul and Apollos were very close in the ministry together. But something's a little strange in verse 12. Now about our brother Apollos, I urged him to visit you with the other believers, but he was not willing to go right now. He will see you later when he has the opportunity. Maybe no meaning at all, just scheduling. Now comes the final instruction to the church. Verse 13, be on guard. In fact, let me just say this before I read it. This is just good counsel for every one of us in this room. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything with love. You know that Stephanus and his household were the first of the harvest of believers in Greece. They're spending their lives in service to God's people. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to submit to them and others like them who serve with such devotion. You know what that means? Support these people that are doing this work. Support them. 
Verse 17, I'm very glad that Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus have come here. They have been providing the help you weren't to help you. They have been providing the help you weren't here to give me. They have been a wonderful encouragement to me as they have been to you. You must show your appreciation to all who serve so well. The church stands today. Something hasn't changed at all. I'm convinced the church stands in the breach of a great spiritual war. If we could open our eyes like uh, Elisha and that guy, I can't remember his name, that day that Elisha's in his room and I think he's taking a power nap and his servant's there and he looks out, I think the city's Dotham and all around them is the king's army and they all come, they're going to kill Elisha. And Elisha's are, well, don't worry about it, it's all right. And he's having an anxiety attack. We're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. And Elisha looks at him and looks at God and says, God, would you open his eyes so he can see what you let me see? And God did, and he opened his, the servant opened his eyes and he saw the angels of heaven surrounding him. Do you believe he still does that? With all my heart. With all of my heart. The church is the unstoppable movement of God. The only thing that stops the church is us. We fail to believe him. We fail to step forward with the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the dead. It's unstoppable. Somebody tries to get to you, they got to go through him. They got to go through him first. Finally, his closing comments and very surprising statement, verse 22. Let's go to 19. The churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. All the brothers and sisters here send greetings to you, greet each other with Christian love. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Our God, come. Our Lord, come. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Paul ends his letter with absolute truth. You know what it is? People would say that he was insensitive in this. What? May all that refuse to love our Lord be cursed. He ends it with absolute truth. There are saved and there are lost and there is no middle. There are blessed and there are cursed and there is no middle, there is no neutral. And what does he mean cursed when he says cursed? What do you think he means? Take a guess. What is the curse? It's death. What have we been talking about? Resurrection of the dead. If you refuse the gift of eternal life, guess what you get? Death. Death. Then Paul says, our Lord come, at least in the NLT. Do you wonder where the, we get the word Maranatha? Well, that's it. The New American Standard translates our Lord come as Maranatha. That's the last scripture I put in here. Look at, let's read it from the NASB. 
The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is accursed. Maranatha. Which means what? Come, Lord Jesus. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to just close tonight by giving thanks to every one of you. Uh, I know we started with more than we finished. That's typically true. And that part makes me very sad. I'll tell you the truth. Makes me quite sad. But you all have finished the journey with me through Paul's first Corinthians. I hope you've been blessed like I have. We'll do Second Corinthians after Labor Day if he lets us, if it's the Lord's will. And somebody sent me an email the other yeah, I don't know who it was now. Sent me asked me to send them an email of the uh, Maranatha, Hosanna, Hallelujah, Amen. That'd be a good place to close this thing. I just told you what Maranatha means, but we got it on the back of our shirts. I won't mention his name, but it was Jerry Peach. <laughs> Jerry Peach told me one time he was going to quit wearing that shirt in Walmart because every time he wore a shirt in Walmart, everybody came up to him. What's that mean? He says, I can never remember it, so I got to quit wearing that shirt. And then somebody asked me to send them an email with it on there. And, and where did it come from and why? Why do, we, why do we make a big deal out of that? I close all of my letters with that uh, because it's my heart cry. It's four words. Prayer. Four words. Come soon, Lord. Maranatha. Hosanna. Save us. Come, come soon and save us. The next one is interesting. It's hallelujah. And my entire life, I would have guessed, if you'd asked me a question, I would have guessed that hallelujah was all throughout Genesis to Revelation. And then I became a student of the Word and found out that's just not true. You know where hallelujah is found in the Bible? In the book of Revelation. I think it's 21st chapter. I forget the chapter. But what's happening in in Revelation 21 or whatever chapter, hallelujah, 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 is Jesus has begun to reign. So put it together. Come soon, Lord, save us. Begin to reign. Amen means what? Yes, a confirmation or make it so. Come soon, Lord, save us. Begin to reign. Make it so. I've concluded that I have not encountered a single thing in my life that that four-word prayer doesn't work for. Everything I've ever faced. In fact, I did it today. Somebody had a situation they brought to me. It was perplexing. I had no answer for them except Maranatha, Hosanna, Hallelujah, Amen. Come soon, Lord, save us. You begin to reign. Make it so. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word we can know you the one true God in Jesus whom you have sent. So Lord, make us strong, make us immovable. Give us confidence, not in ourselves, but in you. The power of your word, the power of your spirit, the power of your church, if we would just believe you. So Lord, commission us as your servants to go out into this dark world and share this good news that you don't have to die. You don't have to die. You don't have to die. You can live. You can get a new body. You can spend forever in glory. 
So, Father, we have the cure to death. May we share that cure with all who we come in contact with. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being here tonight.